AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 85 of AFF On Air. It's the 28th of May, 2022. Coming up in this episode, I'll chat to loyalty program expert David Feldman. In this extended interview, we'll talk about airline status extensions, the golden handcuff effect, some of the recent changes to hotel loyalty programs, why Qantas could be risking killing its profitable golden goose, and lots more. But first, let's begin with a roundup of the latest Australian airline, travel and loyalty program news from the past fortnight. And firstly, Virgin Australia and United Airlines launched their new partnership this week. Virgin's Velocity Frequent Fly members can now earn points, redeem points and earn status credits, as well as receiving reciprocal status tier benefits on United Airlines flights. A day after launching, there were even some United Business Class reward seats available to book from Australia to the US using Velocity Points, which you can now do on the Virgin Australia website. A one-way Velocity reward seat on United from Sydney to San Francisco, for example, we now know would cost 44,800 Velocity Points, while Business Class would cost 95,500 points, plus $116 or so in taxes. Velocity Gold and Platinum members flying on United can also receive an additional checked bag, priority check-in boarding baggage and security, and access to United-operated lounges, although only with a same-day international ticket. No United Club access is available when flying with United on a domestic itinerary within the US. Now, United doesn't operate its own lounges in Australia, But as an exception, Velocity Gold and Platinum members flying with United out of Sydney or Melbourne can also use the Singapore Airlines lounges in those airports. Similarly, United Mileage Plus members can now earn award miles, redeem miles, and receive some status tier benefits when flying on Virgin Australia. However, United members cannot earn Premier qualifying credit on Virgin Australia, which is what's needed to earn status with United. Indonesia has removed the requirement for a pre-departure PCR test for all travellers, making it a lot easier and less expensive now to travel to that country. With visas on arrival also now available and COVID tests on arrival scrapped already by Indonesia last month, demand for travel to Bali is now starting to really pick up. And as a result, Jetstar has now resumed flights on all seven of its pre-COVID routes between Australia and Bali. And Japan has taken another step towards reopening, albeit a very small one. Japan recently announced that a limited number of tourists from specific countries, including Australia, would be allowed to travel to the country on organised tour groups. This will be expanded from the 10th of June to allow people from more countries to travel to Japan, although only on pre-organised guided package tours. But this is still a very long way off from a full reopening of the Japanese border. Now, there is a national election in Japan in July, and there's been some speculation that the government might consider opening up further once that's over. At this stage, Jetstar plans to resume flights to Japan in late July, while Qantas has pushed back the launch of its Sydney to Tokyo flights until the 12th of September. 
Qantas has also given an update this week on when it expects to restart flights to some of its other international destinations. Sydney to Santiago flights are now confirmed to be returning from the 30th of October, while Sydney to San Francisco flights have also been pushed back to this date, meaning all flights that were scheduled between the 30th of July and the 29th of October between Sydney and San Francisco have been cancelled. Meanwhile, Qantas says it will now resume flying Airbus A380s between Melbourne and Los Angeles from the 6th of June, which is around six months ahead of schedule. Rex is axing flights on the Sydney to Canberra and Melbourne to Albury routes, with the last flights on both of these routes operating tomorrow. The airline has blamed Virgin Australia and Sydney Airport for ending flights between Sydney and Canberra, and in a strongly worded media release it blamed Qantas for having to withdraw from the Melbourne to Albury market. Rex is also ending service on five other regional routes, including Sydney to Bathurst, Sydney to Lismore and Adelaide to Kangaroo Island at the end of June. Bonza has had to delay its Australian launch due to receiving its first Boeing 737 MAX aircraft later than expected. The low-cost carrier will likely now launch in or after September of this year rather than mid-2022 as previously announced. We've also recently learned that Bonza will not allow bookings on its website or through travel agents. The only way to book Bonza flights is going to be through its app. The airline says that it wants to create a paperless flying experience with digital boarding passes and the ability to purchase everything you could possibly need directly via the Flybonza app. IHG One Rewards has launched a generous new status match and challenge offer which is available even to base level members of other hotel loyalty programs including Accor All, Marriott Bonvoy, Hilton Honours, World of Hire, Wyndham Rewards, Best Western Rewards, Choice Privileges and Radisson Rewards. And you just have to be a base level member of those programs which are all free to join. Until the 31st of July or until the offer is withdrawn, you can register on the IHG website for instant IHG One Rewards Platinum Elite status. You'll then get to enjoy that Platinum status for four months at no cost. If you stay at least five nights at IHG hotels within those four months, you'll then get to keep your Platinum status even further until the end of December 2023. Plus, if you stay an additional 10 nights during those four months, so 15 nights in total, you'll even be upgraded to Diamond Elite status until the end of 2023, which is the top status level in the new IHG1 rewards program. An Australian frequent flyer member's iPhone went on a free holiday earlier this month from New Zealand to Australia, then to Hawaii, back to New Zealand, and then back to Australia again after this person left their iPhone on a Qantas flight. This Qantas customer had flown in business class from Sydney to Auckland, but accidentally dropped their phone under the seat and didn't realise until after leaving the airport in Auckland. Find My iPhone was activated and they were able to follow the location of the phone in real time as their attempts to contact Qantas to get someone to retrieve the phone were ignored for several days. Airlines including Qantas warn passengers to call a crew member immediately if they lose their phone as it could get damaged if caught in the mechanism of a business class seat and present a fire risk. So it's kind of astonishing that Qantas completely ignored this member's requests for help until a Qantas staff member eventually personally got involved after reading the AFF thread. And if you're travelling to Europe over the coming northern summer months, there's a great deal on train travel in Germany that you might like to take advantage of. Deutsche Bahn, the operator of trains throughout Germany, is offering unlimited travel on local and regional public transport for just €9 for the whole month during the months of June, July and August this year. That works out to be less than 14 Australian dollars to get a whole month of train travel anywhere in Germany. 
The €9 ticket, as it's called, can be bought on the Deutsche Bahn website or through the DB Navigator app as a mobile ticket, and both German residents and tourists can take advantage of this offer. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. Want to learn how to maximise the value in Frequent Flyer programs? If you're new to the Frequent Flyer Points game, or perhaps you'd like to perfect your travel hacking strategy, you may be interested in the Frequent Flyer training program offered by our sister website, Frequent Flyer Solutions. The Frequent Flyer Solutions training consists of 10 easy-to-follow online courses with topics including credit cards, earning, buying and redeeming points, airline status, hotel and supermarket loyalty programs, and how to find cheap flights. If you don't have hours to sift through online forums, the training explains clearly all of the tricks and strategies you need to know to make the most of your Frequent Flyer points and loyalty programs. For more information, visit frequentflyer.com.au. Today's guest last joined me on the AFF On Air podcast back in episode 65, which aired in July 2021, in what ended up being one of the most popular interviews last year on this podcast. David Feldman is a loyalty program expert, originally from Australia, but now living in the United States. He's the founder of Catch It Loyalty, a consultant for New World Loyalty, a regular guest on the Loyalty podcast, and chair of the Loyalty Summit. So as you can tell, he um, knows about all things loyalty. Welcome back to the podcast, David. Hey, Matt, great to uh, be with you as always. Yeah, so the last time, as I said, we chatted was in 2021, and we talked a bit about uh, what goes on behind the scenes in the loyalty program, why points expire, and also what loyalty programs could do to help travel companies recover on the other side of the pandemic. Well, I, I don't know if we, you know, we can call it just yet that the pandemic's over, but certainly travel is recovering, and we are coming out on the other side of it. So I guess since our last chat, what do you think loyalty programs have done particularly well, and is there anything that surprised you? So well, a lot's changed. Uh, a Certainly. lot's changed since um uh, since we last chatted. Um, you know, I, the industry is in a huge state of flux right now. So um, you know, I think that you know if we twelve months ago hadn't sort of learned our lesson to just sort of take it things month by month and and you know react short term, um, you know, it's just you know we're in the same circumstance now, right? We're just hopefully. Uh, the trajectory is on the other side, and the recovery seems to be in full swing. But you know, there's a lot of potholes on the road, and um, you know, I think uh, hotels and airlines and members, there's a lot of challenges out there right now. Yeah, I mean, like when we chatted last time, the border of Australia was closed. A lot of countries still had closed borders. The the virus was still really, really a big issue, and people generally weren't travelling. Now it's kind of the opposite. Their demand, like, is really, really high. Hotels are full, flights are filling up. It's a completely different industry right now, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it's it, it's it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, I don't know. If I had mentioned it last time, but I think I think the last time we chatted, I, I had been planning a a trip to Australia. I, I managed to make it over over. Uh, just before uh, just before new year's for a few weeks and um of course not knowing that uh things were going to get quite challenging in uh in in january um but uh you know managed to come out of the other side of it without getting sick which is great managed to negotiate all the tra- challenges of travel at the time um i mean borders are open now which is which is obviously fantastic news um 
but at the same time, I think a lot of people are having some troubles uh, and a lot of hurdles on the way to being able to get out there and 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 get travelling again. Um, you know, so I think we've got a big list of, of, of things we could maybe talk about with that. Absolutely. And I mean, one of the things we talked about last time was status extensions, for just for, and as an example, like most hotels and airlines did extend their members' elite status over the last two years or offered, you know, quite extreme shortcuts like Qantas, um, for example. Well, Qantas is still giving out status extensions to anyone with the membership here ending up until the end of December this year if they book one Qantas flight, which is pretty generous. And Qantas hasn't ruled out offering even more status ex- uh, assistance. But now that like flights are filling up, lounges are becoming really quite full. For example, do you think it's time for airlines and hotels to stop extending status? You know, I don't think that I don't think it's an either or proposition. I don't, I don't think uh, it's as simple as a, a yes or no answer. Uh, and I'm probably pretty sure if you've spoken to Mark recently, he'll have a different view on this to me. Um, not surprisingly, um, look, I, I think. I think, generally speaking, the days are dusted for, um, you know, the blanket status extensions. Um, but he's, there's two aspects to it, right? Um, you know, and, and Mark's argument throughout the whole, the, whole, the whole pandemic, you know, and it's a solid argument, is, you know, you've, you've got to keep a close eye on protecting the value of the status, right? If you, if you keep giving status extensions without, without thought uh, and regard, um, ultimately what you eventually do is people either become apathetic about having to make any effort to keep the status or you just devalue it so much that just, you know, it really helps to fuel that cycle of, of people just not considering that it holds value. Uh, therefore, you know, they, they think twice about do they make the effort to invest in, in, in pursuing status or shifting their spend to consolidate onto a particular airline or hotel. Um, and, and it's a solid it's a solid argument. At the same time, you know, you have you have a bunch of your, you know, your best customers, if you want to call them that, uh, from a hotel or airline perspective, or that that were your best customers beforehand and, and you want to acknowledge that the the pandemic isn't their fault. Uh it's not necessarily their fault that they've stopped traveling, um, you know, or aren't traveling as much as they were before. But they were traveling a lot before. Um, you know, and your best predictor of a customer segment with a propensity to be your best customers in the future is certainly those that were good customers in the past. At the same time, you know, you probably want to be thinking about, well, look, if they are able to now travel, I want them to be traveling again. I want them to be traveling. I want them to get back on the road. I want them to let me know that they're alive and well and still want to be a valued member um, and are still prepared to meet the hurdles to, to get those benefits of, of elite status. Um, you know, now some people will have lost their jobs or moved on or their family situation will have changed, uh, you know, for better or worse or what have you. And so maybe they're not going to be your top platinum members, you know, of uh, of the future as they were in the past, um, you know, perhaps they want to stay home because they have a family, a young family now, or you know, their their job is different that doesn't require travel as it did before. You know, all of these things, you know, uh, may mean that that Johnny, who is a really good platinum spending customer previously, you know, it isn't going to be in the future. So at some point, you need to cut Johnny loose. Um, you now, it doesn't mean. He's not a valued member and that he hasn't been valued in the past. And you want to make sure you let Johnny know that, hey, if his travel does pick up in the future, you're here for him uh, as a hotel or airline brand and you want his business. Um, but, 
you know, at the same time, just continually to blanketly extend on his status when his circumstances have changed and he's not going to be that high-flying uh, member of the past uh, is kind of a little pointless. Um, so it's really important to correctly identify your customers because what you don't want to do is you don't want to cut off Jane uh, in your effort to cut off Johnny. You don't want to cut off Jane, who actually is going to be a fantastically you know, high-flying, high-spending customer in the future, but she's just waiting for the, you know, for the office to reopen and the business travel to pick up and the clients to want her to get back on the road to come and visit them. Um, and sometimes with the imperfect data that exists at any point of time, but especially now, it's really hard to sometimes differentiate between those two customers. Um, I think what we're seeing right now, um, and I think you know, my recommendation to most programs, of course, there's no one size fits all, um, is that the right course of action now is a much more targeted approach compared to you know a year or two years ago, um, because in most regions now borders are open, travel is available again, offices are starting to open up, conferences and events are starting to happen again, the ability to visit friends and family is happening again, um, and and the hurdles for doing so, you know, whether whether it's testing and, and other pre requirements and things like that, uh, aren't as onerous as they were even just a few months ago. Um, I think the correct approach, and I think we're seeing this across the board, um, is a, mu a much more targeted approach. And what I mean by that is that some, for some segments of customers, you know, there's there's no more grace period. For others, you know, maybe there's some extensions um, or lowered qualifications available, but there is some action required. It's not just automatic anymore. So, you know, if you've been a bit dormant for the last couple of years, okay, that's all right. Um, we're prepared to extend your status or we're prepared to continue to recognize you as a value customer, but you have to do something for that. You've either got to start getting back on the earning, the earning bandwagon, you've got to book and travel a flight or a couple of flights or, or, or what have you, or, you know, we really want you to significantly get back on the road to the normal status requirements, but we're going to give you some bonuses or we're going to lower them this year. There's a whole bunch of different ways that you can approach this, but you want to, um, you really want to get people back into the 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 behavioral habit of earning and requalifying for status because the danger is last time we spoke I, I highlighted the main danger is you don't want to feel have people you don't insult people you don't want them to pe feel unvalued you know that well hang on a minute you only value me as a, a valuable customer in good in good times but the pandemic isn't my fault and now you're punishing me for something that's not my fault. You know, and that's why status extensions did make sense uh, on a blanket level before. Now, it's a little bit different. Now, what you want to do is you want to help people. You want to give them a hand up, not a hand out in terms of getting back on the road and getting back on the status bandwagon, because you don't want them to just be like, you know what, maybe I'm just going to rethink who I'm loyal to and I'll go try this other brand. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, as you say, like the whole point of the elite status extensions is so that those previously loyal, high-spending customers who you know haven't been able to travel during the pandemic for reasons outside of their control can come back. And obviously, the airlines and the hotels don't want them to go to their competitors um, if if they let them lose their status over this time. Like, so just how important is that golden handcuffs effect in terms of um, in terms of elite status? Like, how important is it to an airline like Qantas that they um, don't let customers experience the opposition? Look, it, it's, it's hugely important. I mean, the, the whole, not the whole point, but one of the main points uh, or goals of the whole elite status program is to increase switching costs, um, you know, and 
the the the, the corollary or the flip side to that is going is you know uh, and this is where mark comes in is status matching right is if you're a competitor wanting to poach those people you need to lower those switching costs and the way you do that is through status matches and challenges and you know giving people uh being being creating opportunities for people to be able to switch or try out or taste your product you know um without them feeling like they're starting at the bottom of the you know at the back of the line um and the bottom of the ladder so you know it, it's, it's the whole that whole ecosystem you know hangs in a you know a, a very tight balance and if you're Qantas to use the example and you want to stop people switching you you don't want to basically tell them you know yeah sorry not with those shoes you're not coming in today um you know you don't want to be telling them that especially people who have shown you in the past that they have significant business to give. Remember, you know, frequent flyers by definition are a very, 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 very small proportion of, of customers, but they represent, you know, an oversized, you know, proportion of revenue. Uh, and that's true in any geography around the world. Uh, you know, it's the Pareto principle, right? So um, you want to really be careful that not driving away valuable customers the you know but but the pendulum is shifting back to requiring some form of you know i I always joke like at least put your hand up and let us know that you're still there you know at least put your hand up and let us know that you're still interested in being a member um you know you can translate that however you want maybe it's clicking a button in an email like We'll extend your status, but you at least have to open the email and click the button. Um, we're not just going to give it to you like for nothing. Um, now, obviously, you know, figuratively, you know, that's all well and good. Literally, you want them to do a little more than just open an email and press a button. But you need to find out for your various customer segments. You need to do a good job of figuring out what is that something that they're capable of doing, and dangling the carrot right at that point or just in front of that point. Um, you don't want to be like, hey, that's great. You, you know, you were previously a valuable Platinum One member. Well, you know, we want to keep you. We're going to extend your Platinum One status for you for only two and a half thousand status credits. Um, that's that's sort of not that's that. still a lot. It's still a lot if that person maybe only has the capability right now to give a hundred status credits. Now, maybe someone who only gives a, has the capability to give you a hundred status credits worth of business right now. Maybe that's somebody who you're not going to consider giving them uh, an extension of platinum one status. But maybe you'll give them something else, or you'll give them another opportunity. You need to, you know, this is where good data and good understanding of your members comes into play. You want to find out what their capacity to give is, and then you want to extract as much of that from them as possible but still have them feeling that you're looking after them. And it's a, it's, it's a tight balance. Yeah. Um, I should just point out that you've referred to Mark, that, uh, that this is Mark Ross-Smith, um, who's <laughs> the former CEO of um, Malaysia yes. Airlines Loyalty and um, from the Status Match website, just for anyone who's listening and wondering who Mark is. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I make the, the assumption that, that most, of, most of our listeners are, are probably familiar with uh, Yeah, with Mark's Mark been on the podcast a few times in the past. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like, and it's interesting what you said about like um, 
obviously, if if someone has actually earned status legitimately in the last year, and then mm-hmm. like they're sharing a lounge and all the same benefits as someone who's just got a status match for the last two or three years, there's obviously p- perhaps a little bit of resentment there from the person who's actually earned it the hard way. Have you seen like in some programs now that they have kind of two tiers of gold status or two tiers of platinum status, where like people who've actually legitimately earned status in 2021 mm-hmm. or 2022 get like some extra benefits? Yeah, look, look. I think probably two points I make. I mean, the first up I'll make, and you know, any of your listeners that have followed my commentary for for any period of time will be aware that I don't subscribe to that theory very strongly. You know, that programs need to worry about that. Um, you know, it, it's a popular it, it's a popular uh, position that appears, you know, in Facebook groups and, on, and in the forums. Um, you know, and you know, even amongst chats amongst frequent flyers, is that you know, you know, and people will say, people will say. I'm annoyed. I earned it legitimately last year, and this other person took my upgrade. This other person took my seat in the lounge, and this other person I have to wait at the uh, at the bar at the the Qantas Business Lounge to get my drink because they're in front of me. Like whatever. The reality is, is is most folks don't worry about how other folks earn their status. They worry about getting their status benefits, as is published by the airline or the hotel, and you know, and 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 I don't want to use the word they're entitled to, but Hey, it's an agreement. I I earn my twelve hundred status credits a year to renew my platinum status. You know, I want to get the published benefits. And those couple of times you sometimes make me feel more special or give me something else that's not on the published list. That's a bonus, but it keeps me on the bandwagon. Um, that said, yes, uh, we're seeing around the world a, a number of programs doing a lot of things to to try to do a little bit more to those that have been flying through the pandemic, you know, and, and qualifying at the published levels and whether that be prioritizing them for things like upgrades or, you know, even surprise and delight by giving them a few extra things or whether it be anything from bonus points to, to other bonus benefits, depending on what the program typically offers, uh, you know, it might be certificates of some description. You know, we are seeing those sort of things happen and it can be as simple as that, you know, um, something, you know, a, a little bit of an acknowledgement or a thank you. Hey, here's a, you know, here's a discount voucher, your next redemption, or, you know, here's a certificate for an extra lounge entry for a friend or family member or something like that. It doesn't have to be something that's potentially costly, uh, for the airline or the hotel, uh, but it's a little bit of acknowledgement, and it's not just because you want to acknowledge the people who have earned the status the hard way versus those who got the freebies, but it's recognizing this segment of customers that is currently active, and, the, and it, even if it wasn't for the pandemic, your segment of customers that is currently active is critically important strategically to keep them active. Um, you know, your people right now who you would who who were saying aren't as active as they should be, but we're giving them the complimentary extensions. They're the people who pre-pandemic we referred, we would refer to as lapsed customers or nearly lapsed customers. They're a different segment, they're, but they also require some TLC and some particular strategies and tactics. Um, it's the same thing. It's just that the look of the segments is a little bit different because of the pandemic effect. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned like that people have a general expectation to get at least what's promised. And um, there's been a lot of commentary lately about Qantas, obviously, like with their customer service issues and people being unable or finding it impossible to redeem points or book book an award flight. Like, obviously, a frequent flyer program for an airline is hugely profitable. It's one of the most profitable parts of the business. Do you think that Qantas is risking killing its golden goose there if they can't offer basic customer service? Wait, you're suggesting Qantas has some customer service issues going on? I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. Shocked. <laughs> I don't believe any of it. It's- Have you had to uh, deal with Qantas yourself recently? 
Uh, how long do you have to talk about it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, look. Um, let's let's not beat around the bush about it. Qantas's customer service right now is shockingly abysmal. Like, no, it's worse. Than, it's obscene. It's absolutely obscene. I'm not somebody that's in favour of increased government regulation, but I think that Qantas's customer service issues right now are so bad. Uh, absolutely so bad that I, I think that there is a governmental argument for increased teeth for the ACCC to, to step in and, 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 and do things in this regard. And what I mean by that is, I mean, I, I think that, you know, you could argue that, I mean, well, Qantas would argue that customer service isn't in the contract of carriage, and that's all well and good. But I, I think that there are some basics of customer service that are implied in any customer vendor contract. Um, you know, and, and, you know, when we think about, when we think about you know, Australian consumer guarantees, you know, in day-to-day life in Australia, and the things that um, that vendors are responsible for ensuring, you know, uh, that are implied guarantees and warranties that they can't get out of when it comes to consumers. I mean, I think there are some basic customer service aspects that are implied in that, and that is the ability to, you know, be able to contact Qantas in, in a reasonable time frame reach an agent with reasonable competence to actually affect, you know, bookings and changes and refunds and ticketing before deadlines and and things that can't be accomplished, um, you know, through self-service. I mean, you know, we've all, I'm sure everybody, all of your listeners received, you know, those those astonishingly um, out-of-touch communications from Qantas, essentially blaming the customer for not self-servicing. And it's like, well, hey, we'd all self-service if you're, you know, website and app and everything actually allowed us <laughs> to, to self-service. But there's a lot of actions that you can't do online, um, that you can't, you have to speak to an agent about. Uh, and I think, I think, I think at the point Qantas is so bad right now um, that customers can't actually affect the ability to actually use the product. Um, and, and I think that that becomes a consumer, um, a consumer guarantee issue. But I'm not a consumer lawyer, uh, and I'm sure that there are plenty out there that can can you know work on that. Yeah, the latest issue is that like people with confirmed bookings, if there's a schedule change um, on one of the flights, Qantas then doesn't reissue the ticket in time, and then all the flights get cancelled. I mean, it's just it's it's just basic. Yeah, you know, it's just I mean, unbelievable. Again, I think as as you say, you know, or you know, as I said earlier, I think that there is some implied customer service that actually is inherent in in the contract, um, you know, in, in the provision of the basic service of carriage. Um, you know, I, I think that Qantas is arrogantly out of touch. You know, I don't think that that could be understated, and I'm sure none of that is a surprise to your listeners. One extra thing on that. So you did ask about killing the golden goose. Look, here's the thing. There's no competition, right? Where are people going to go? To, to Virgin, which is now a second-rate domestic airline, doesn't offer international service. Um, you know, where are they going to go? Uh, they're going to go to Jetstar? Well, that's Qantas, right? So, um, I mean, realistically, where are they going to go? They're going to go to an overseas program. Well, anyone who had a propensity to switch to an overseas program probably already did so years ago. Um, so no one's going to go anywhere. So they're not going to lose customers to a competitive airline about um, because of this, but uh, not in any, any meaningful numbers. Um, those that probably were, were already going to switch already did. Um, but the issue comes on opportunity cost. You know, I mean, Qantas... Qantas's golden goose is the the billings revenue for Qantas frequent flyer. So partner earnings, you know, getting your your Optus, you know, your Optus mobile contract, you know, on, on a Qantas, you know, a, a Qantas earning plan. You know, your, your health insurance, your, um, you know, your car insurance, your your credit cards, all the rest of that business. Um, and 
you know, whilst credit card market penetration, you know, for the co-brand cards, you know, is probably pretty, I mean, it's not going to be decimated because of this. But, you know, somebody who might have been thinking about, well, do I, do I, you know, do I take up Qantas travel insurance, Qantas health insurance, you know, do I order some more wine through the wine club, um, whatever it might be, some of that incremental uh, engagement spend absolutely, I think, could be at risk. Uh, you know, and there's a lost opportunity cost issue um, because of things like poor service, poor ability to redeem your points. You know, I mean, it all comes down to sort of that golden rule that's always existed. You know, people join frequent flyer program because they're interested in getting a free flight sometime in the future. And there's a lot of things that go into that formula working profitably for the airline, you know, most of which comes down to those members need to actually feel that when it comes time to redeem a flight, that they can do so. Um, you know, when a water availability is so poor or the customer experience is so poor um, that you know, they can never do it, then they're less likely to engage in pursuing the accrual of the currency in the first place. And that means less take up of credit cards, less engagement with the on the ground partners, you know, all of which is incredibly profitable to Qantas. Absolutely. Let's move on. I want to talk about uh, hotel loyalty programs because this is something that you also have a particular interest in, particular expertise in. Sure. Um, there's been a few changes in hotel loyalty programs uh, over the past few months. One of the most recent, one of the most drastic ones was IHG. They changed their name of their loyalty program to IHG One Rewards and completely overhauled the uh, the status tiers. Do you think that was something that was overdue? And like, what do you make of the changes? Look, I, I think IHG's done a great job. You know, uh, I, I think that um, their, their, their recent change is fantastic. I think they've done a really, really good job um, in acknowledging um, the areas that they were weak before, you know, particularly elite elite benefits, you know, things like breakfast for top elite members. Um, I think the way that they've structured their milestone awards, I think, is best practice um, for an airline program right now because, you know, uh, it's easy to give away status, but you don't necessarily want to give away your your benefits that are expensive to provide to people that aren't actually staying with you. Um, but the, the hurdles that they've put in for their milestone benefits you know, are pretty low. You know, um, you know, if you're even a light frequent stayer, um, you know, there's, there's definitely benefits to be had. So I think IHG has done a really, really good job. Yeah, the milestone rewards is interesting. It reminds me a little bit of um, what American Airlines has done with their new um, loyalty program as well, like where you, they have the status, you know, the basic status tiers, but then to get some of the extra benefits, you actually have to have stayed recently. And that also kind of comes back to what we're talking about before about, you know, people who have status but haven't actually really earned it in the last, like by, by traveling in the last year. So it's, it's really quite clever, I think. Yeah, look, American Airlines is a, is a, is a, is a very interesting example. Uh, I mean, the uh, the biggest criticism of the U.S. airlines in the past has basically been, you know, that they just copy each other. You know, uh, you know, I mean, I've had high level execs, you know, from U.S. airlines say that to my face. That what's the point? I mean, I'll paraphrase them, but basically say, why why should we bother innovating when anything we do is just going to be copied by the competition five minutes later? Um, now, you know, I've got to give my hat off uh, to, to American, um, you know, um, and, and particularly the, the, the previous management um, at Advantage that put these changes into play in, in that they've been bold enough to say, you know what, we, we're going to change the paradigm here. Um, and, you know, again, one of my biggest criticisms over the years has been that U.S. airlines over-focusing on what they called their most valuable customers, which weren't their most valuable customers, but they were the most high-spending customers, um, miss the point of, you know, a huge opportunity cost, with, which is the loyalty program, and that is that people who are engaged 
more broadly across the loyalty program, not just the highest spending customers uh, on the actual airline, um, are can actually be the most profitable for the program itself. So if you think about somebody who might actually only be a medium actual frequent flyer on the airline or somebody who's not flying on the corporate dime, so they're buying, you know, economy fares rather than, you know, uh, contract uh, business fares, um, which often aren't actually much more revenue to the airline thanks to contract negotiation. Um, those people might be more engaged and have credit cards and engage with partners on the ground, all of which is much more high margin for the airline itself than the actual airfares. Um, those people in aggregate are also larger. So there's a lot more profit to be had. And American Airlines has recognized that. Uh, and so what they've done is pivot to basically say, hey, you can, we don't care how you earn top status. You know, basically, you're going to earn you're going to earn status points. They call them loyalty points. Uh, you're going to earn American loyalty points through flying, through spending on your credit card, through engaging with our, our high margin partners, through you know the the e shopping, the dining, you know things like that, hotel booking, all that kind of business. Um, and if you want to earn top status all the way through just spending on your credit card, go for your life. Um, if you want to earn it through flying, go for your life. Uh, and the reality is, is that most people that are achieving elite status are going to earn through a mix um, because there's no point earning top status just through your credit card if you never fly, right? Because then you're going to be doing all the earning but none of the benefit um, gaining. Um, my biggest criticism of the program is how they calibrated it. Uh, if you're a person who traditionally earned mainly from frequent flying, um, ultimately what they did is they increased your airfare spend requirement to eighteen thousand US dollars a year pre-taxes, you know. So by the time you add your taxes in and all the rest, you're you're probably at about twenty grand uh, US worth of worth of airfare spend to earn top status now. Um, but at the same time, they've made it significantly easier to earn status if you are somebody who holds the co-brand card. So the incentive is there to definitely have a co-brand card, and if you have a capability to put decent volume through your credit card, whether it's through business expenses or taxes and things like that, um, you can definitely earn status very easily. Um, you know, and, and the same with engagement with, with partners. We sort of come back to your discussion earlier about, well, some people will be like, well, now there's sort of, are there two tiers of people, right? The people who are earning it through bum and seat flying are annoyed at the people who are just earning it through credit card spending, you know, and vice versa. But my argument again is, hey, if they're not flying frequently, they're not taking your seat on the you know, uh, on the upgrade list or in the lounge or you know in front of you in the priority queue. Yeah, that's right. And kind of like uh, like with the milestone awards, to get things like upgrade certificates now, you actually have to have done a certain number of flights, so you can't just get those rewards through credit card spend. So it's quite clever. exactly you know, and and the hurdles for doing that, you know, for example, for top status to get the, you know, you need to fly thirty thirty segments um, in a year to to get those upgrade certificates. Um, you know, and it's it's not a huge hurdle, but, you know, if you think about it, you know, 30 segments a year is still a decent hurdle, um, you know, for people who you know, aren't genuinely flying on a regularly uh, frequent basis. Um, so it is quite clever. I think that they, you know, I think where they got it wrong was I think the earning multiplier for actual flying probably should have been higher so that, you know, actual flying earned you a greater contribution towards status. Um, that's probably a little light on. Um, but what they've done is they've recognized where's their highest margin and they're directing member behavior towards that high margin activity. So I would have to give them an eight and a half out of 10 for it. 
Okay. Well, yeah, that, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, another um, change we've seen recently in hotel programs is like Marriott Bonvoy has removed award charts and moved to dynamic pricing for hotel nights and World of Hyatt's moved to peak standard and off-peak pricing. Um, so it's interesting, like we've seen a few programs fiddle around with their with their reward night pricing. Do you think that in, say, 10 or 20 years from now, all loyalty programs are going to have dynamic pricing for awards? You know, look, there's, there's a problem... Um, there's problems when everybody follows the leader with the zeitgeist in the industry, you know, um, and, and I think dynamic pricing is, is, I think dynamic pricing is horrible. Uh, I, I'm a huge uh, opponent of it. Uh, I think it's bad for members. Um, and I think it's actually bad for programs. I lose interest in programs that use dynamic pricing because there's no value. That's exactly it. And, and, and I don't mean, I don't necessarily agree or support the view of there's no value. in. But the what I should of- say is there's no sweet spots. A lot of our listeners, you know, we, we, we're preaching to the converted, right? People who are very astute at finding sweet spots um, and things like that. And, and I don't necessarily mean that that's the group of people that we're talking about here. I, I like to talk about the average member. The average member, you know, no offense, Matt, they don't read AFF, um, <laughs> you know, um, but the average member still wants to see value. They need to perceive value. And if they can't perceive value, and I don't mean those exorbitant sweet spots that we all love uh, and have historically loved, um, but if they don't perceive general value, they're not going to be interested. So really, when we're talking about things like, you know, the Marriott, for example, going to dynamic pricing, Marriott views, what Marriott does is they view their members and they look at them and they go, you know what, we have so many members so many members staying with us regardless of the program. The program isn't necessarily influencing their decision to, to stay or it's only influencing, you know, to some small degree. And all these people are accruing points and they're accruing a ton of points. You know, by moving to dynamic pricing, these people are still going to be able to get their free nights for their families, you know, where they want to go, um, you know, to make up for their business trips and things like that. So there's still, you could argue that there's still, I don't want to use the word value, but there's still redemption opportunities for them. You know, they can use their points. They can have a free vacation with their family, and those people are happy. The problem is those people weren't the people that were necessarily influenced uh, behaviorally by the program in the first place. And the group of people or members that are influenced uh, by the program are the ones most hurt by by dynamic pricing. So what ends up happening um, is that, The people who are least influenced by the program continue to gain benefit from it. The people who are most influenced by the program end up not bothering because there's no value anymore. Now, you know, the issue is, is, you know, what percentage of that is business lost, you know, opportunity lost. The problem is, is as you sort of mentioned, you lose interest in these programs. And when that starts to happen at scale, which I think we already start to see, is, you know, the relevance and importance of of hotel loyalty programs being able to continue to influence business that wouldn't have otherwise have been there um, is diminished uh, in in the future. And really then what you're left with is a core group of people who are already going to stay with you. And yes, you can try to send a little little bit extra activity from them and you can try to keep them a little bit more locked in. But it's a lot easier to go across the road and stay in another hotel than it is to switch airlines. You know, we talked about Qantas earlier, you know, I mean, if you want to defect from Qantas, who are you going to defect to? If you're staying in an airport, Hilton, I mean, it's not hard to go across the road to stay, say, at the airport Holiday Inn instead, right? Um, it's really not difficult to do that. Um, 
you know, and we find industry-wise across the world with hotels, even top-status hotel members, you know, typically only might give 55% of their share of wallet to their preferred program. I mean, every high-status um, hotel member, pretty much every, has a second backup program, which they often hold status in. I mean, it, it's just, and even if they don't hold status, there's still times that they'll give up to 45% of their hotel spend to uh, brand number two because it might be more convenient or, you know, they have a, they have a better hotel next to their office or, or whatever it might be. Um, so there's a lot of risk in there. Going back to your comment, you, you lose interest. Um, uh, full disclosure, Radisson is a client of mine, uh, but, you know, Radisson, uh, uh, Radisson Awards Americas last year uh, changed up their award chart and a lot of people, you know, complain that it's devaluation. Your top properties went from 70,000 points to 75,000 points, for example, Um but what they introduced is something that Radisson calls reward saver. It's basically off-peak pricing. But they they doubled down and said, we're going to keep award charts. 100% award charts are not going ahead. We're going to introduce a dynamic component, but we're only going to introduce off-peak. There's no peak. So you know, you know what the award chart is. You know the maximum you're going to pay. You can have a savings goal. If there's no award chart, you don't know what you're saving for. But, you know, if you, if you want to stay at a particular property um, – you know how much you need to save for, you have a goal, and if there's going to be a dynamic component, it's only going to be because it gets cheaper, uh, which means your value, you know, your points can go longer and you can have increased value there. Um, you know, and, and I, I, I can't divulge any internal numbers, but I can certainly say uh, from, from what I've seen in the first six months or so of operation, it's, it's done tremendously well, and members have saved uh, a bucket of points. Um, compared to what they would have paid under the previous award chart. So, you know, it's it, it's a win-win because hotels that might, you know, be a bit light on an occupancy, for example, you know, can can use the award chart to drive additional demand uh, to fill empty rooms, which if you think about hotel programs traditionally and airline programs traditionally, that's what it was all about, was using, you know, excess capacity uh, and availability to offer as reward seats or reward nights. Um, so absolutely, you know, that's the whole uh, reason they work. It's the whole reason they work. That's exactly it. So I'm a big believer in award charts. I think getting rid of them, um, you know, it's not going to decimate your program if you are a big program with critical mass. But I think it costs you a huge, again, a huge opportunity cost uh, in in terms of being able to incent member behaviour and capture. Uh, a, a decently, um, you know, a decently sized additional segment of business. Absolutely, yeah. One of the one of the other changes we've had last year was Radisson Rewards uh, splitting into two programs. So you now have a Radisson Rewards Americas, and then you have another program for everywhere else. Um, are you able to explain yes. just for someone who might not be familiar with this, like how does this work now, and like uh, what you know, what was the what was the reason behind this, and like so, for example, if you're a member like with a residency in Australia, and then you stay at a Radisson hotel in the US, like like how does that all work? Uh, so I need to be careful exactly what I say, but uh, look, there was some regulatory requirements that the the company had to had to deal with, um, and as a result, there's essentially two programs. So, uh, and Radisson is not the first program you know, that has multiple programs. I mean, Choice is another good example that comes to mind. Um, but with Radisson, basically, you have Radisson Awards, which is the entire world except for the Americas, uh, and you know that's north, you know that's north uh, North America, including Canada. Um, you know, Caribbean, Latin America. So it's all of the Americas. 
um, is the other programs. You have Radisson Rewards, you have Radisson Rewards Americas. And they operate as, I mean, they do operate sort of as two separate but connected programs. So um, there is a global points transfer between them. So if you sort of think about um, think about Chris Flyer and Virgin Australia with the, with the points transfer, uh, except hopefully there's no margin taken out of the points. Yeah, yeah and <laughs> hopefully we'll be back soon. Um, and there's no margin taken out of the points. So you can transfer your points between Radisson Rewards and Radisson Rewards America one-to-one, as many times as you like, as, as, as little as one point at a time. Um, so if you're an Australian member, you would be a member of the general, the, you know, the global Radisson Rewards program. But let's say you go and stay in Americas, um, what you do is you sign up for a second account in the Americas. It's a bit of a pain, but yeah, it takes two seconds on the on the website to do that. Um, you'll earn your points. Uh, so say you, you know, say you, uh, you know, uh, say you come over and you, you stay in Southern California here. Um, you'll earn points in the Americas program, and then you can just transfer those points um, straight back into your global, you know, global account where the, you know the rest of your points are. Um, and let's say you want to redeem, it's the same thing. You can redeem in either program around the globe, if it's the other program that you want to redeem in. So let's say you're in the global program, which most Australians would be, and you want to redeem it a U.S. property or Canadian property or Latin American property, um, you would just um, move your points across and make your redemption. Um, and again, very, very quick. takes a few seconds on the website to do it. Um, you know, once you've done it the first time, it's all very easy. So it sounds more complicated than it really is. Um, Look, nobody likes to introduce additional friction um, into into the member experience in loyalty programs. Um, in this case, you know, as I said, there were some regulatory requirements. wasn't quite, you know, what certainly wasn't uh, the preferred um, choice um, of, of how things w- would be set up. But um, they've tried to set them up as seamlessly as possible. Um, but the good news is, it doesn't matter if you're in the Americas, you want to go stay in Fiji, you can do it. Uh, you want to go stay in Europe, you can do it, uh, and vice versa. Uh, it's just, you know, one extra step. Yeah, when when the email came out explaining the, the change, I read it and then I read it again and I was quite confused as to what they were actually doing and what the what the purpose of it was. But um, I guess the regulatory requirements explains that and they've tried to sort of make it as, as seamless as they can, you know, considering what they have to work with. Look, I think in my experience uh, in, in the industry, you know, I mean, I, I think pick a program, pick a date, pick an airline, pick a hotel, open a random email and you're going to always read the email and you're going to be like, what on earth are they talking about? <laughs> you know, even there might be it wouldn't a super be the generous first promotion. Yeah. Even a super generous promotion. You're like, um, I could have said it so much simpler than that. Oh my um, goodness. Yes. I still remember yes, an email I got from Air New Zealand last year and it was like a really long, it was almost like a, like a short story. And basically the only message was like, we're looking forward to flying you again soon. And when we restart international flying, you need to be vaccinated. Like they could have said that in probably a a 50th of the words that they used. Anyway, (laughs) but you see, you see this kind of stuff all the time. It drives me nuts. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It does. Uh, Absolutely. It does. Well, just finally, David, do you have a personal favorite, like um, just as a member, like a personal favorite airline and hotel loyalty program? You know, airline's tough right now. Um, you know, airline airline is tough because even airline, I mean, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about hotels, you know, you just you lose interest when there's no award shots and things. I'm going to say even airlines just right now, I think that, um, you know, I don't want to blame it on the pandemic, but I just, uh, I, I think that airline programs, generally speaking, across the board have devalued so much um, or made it so difficult to be a customer of, you know, uh, Exhibit A Qantas in our earlier discussion. Um, you know, I, it's, it's 
it's tough, right? It's uh, if you ask me to pick a preferred airline right now, I would struggle. I can tell you right now that the airlines I'm flying, I'm flying based on route, uh, route and schedule. Um, more than anything. That's really interesting um, as a loyalty program guy that you um you you're not you don't have like a particular preferred airline loyalty program right now. Yeah, look, I, I certainly you know I um, I have top status in the American Airlines. I'll, I'll easily requalify for that again this year. I, I don't see that going away in a hurry. Um, you know, look, uh, flying regardless of whether you're in Europe or the states or Australia right now. Generally speaking, flying is not a fun activity right now. Um, right. You know, there are operational challenges. There's customer service challenges. You know, I, I haven't looked at airfares in Australia recently, but I can tell you here in the States, airfares are just, like, extortionate right now. Um, I've definitely had a lot of business trouble ca- cancelled in recent uh, in recent weeks because the airfares can't be justified. Uh, if I'm paying, I can't justify paying for it. If a client's paying for it or partner's paying for it, they can't justify uh, having people get on a plane. Um, so flying just isn't fun right now at all. No, and the flights are there. A lot of them are really full. The airports are full. It's yeah, it's everything is full. And, there's delays. And the airlines have uh, is, cut a lot of staff during the pandemic as well, so they don't necessarily have the capacity to deal with it. Yeah, and, and when you talk about benefits, um, a lot of benefits haven't returned, or the benefit delivery is watered down. Uh, you want to redeem a free flight um, right now in the current environment. Um, good luck with that. Um, so. You know, I, I think that there's a lack of excitement. Um, now, look, I think it's temporary. I think it'll come back. Um, you know, but if you're asking me to forecast who's going to be my preferred program or programs in the future when it comes to Ellen's, I, I think that's a really tough one. Um, hotels, um, you know, funnily enough, I uh, my Apple wallet tells me I, I still currently hold um, status in top status in uh let me count how many here. Let's see here uh, in uh, uh, where's my hotels? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven chains. Um, but you know, am I going to make an effort with with all of them uh, in the future? Look, Hyatt definitely number one for me. Uh, I think Hyatt has a, a really good program. All in all, um, I enjoy the benefits um, of of holding top status with Hyatt. Um, you know, in terms of aspirational properties, I, I enjoy uh, those properties from a vacation. Um, I think Marriott, I, I, I think my engagement with Marriott is definitely going to downgrade in the future. Um, you know, the, the removal of award charts, exactly as you said, you lose interest in the program. Um, Hyatt treats me very well. I, I have to say IHG is a backup program. I think, um, I think they've moved up in the world. Uh, I'm actually... You know, I'm. I think I'm actually excited to, um, you know, to take them for a spin or two as travel, you know, as travel requires uh, with their new program. Um, they've got good coverage around the world, you know, in areas, especially where Hyatt's a bit weak. Um, you know, and there's, I think there's a lot of nice properties in the, uh, in the IHG chain. You know, obviously, Intercontinentals are, not, are nice and fun, uh, but you know, people laugh at me, but I, I don't mind Holiday Inn Expresses. Um, oh, I, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, they're absolutely fine. Most of them are, are brand new buildings, um, like brand new buildings. I mean, in the US, you wouldn't get caught dead in a regular Hilton uh, in most cities. But a Holiday Inn Express, most of them, almost all of them are brand new builds. Um, fantastic. You get free breakfast. The rooms are clean. Often the rooms are quite large. Um, it's very easy if you, have, if you have status to get upgraded to what they would regard to as a suite, but quite often is a 
a large one or two bedroom room, um, you know, um, with great workspace and, and all the rest of it. I, I find them hard to fault, to be honest with you. People laugh at me, but if you're traveling for work or with family, I actually think that they're great. Oh, so there you go. World of Hyatt as a hotel program. And I'll have to ask you again next time you come on the podcast what your favorite frequent flyer program is. Maybe no, no, no. Be... Actually, on airline, let me add one more thing. I'm excited yeah, sure. to see how the Virgin United partnership stacks up. Um, oh, yeah. That's that's just launched this week. Yeah. United can be a solid option for, for travel, you know, Trans-Pacific. Um, you know, I've had my share of United flights. Um, often premium award availability in normal times is reasonable to find. Um, and you can get good value there uh, if you're prepared to, you know, be patient and have a little bit of flexibility. Um, you know, so it may very well be that the United Virgin, um, you know, partnership changes things up. Um, it certainly convinced me not to re-pursue United status. Um, so, That's you know... They, they didn't extend my status again. Um, you know, uh, as a result, I can certainly categorically say they've lost a little bit of my business this year. Um, you know, probably no great loss for them, but I probably would have given them all my share of wallet uh, had I maintained my status. They didn't. Um, so I'm choosing more convenience. Um, uh, but, you know, Qantas being the way they are right now, I, I have to say there's no great love for me to give them unnecessary unnecessary business i mean i'm, I'm in the lu- luxurious position of having lifetime gold already so i don't need to do anything there um you know but yeah let's i think come back to me on, on airline because the united virgin tire might be a bit of a game changer for a lot so, of people so maybe velocity will be your new favorite you know i think anyone who you know was engaged with velocity i think was obviously disappointed with what happened uh with virgin over the last couple of years um but you know, let's let's see what happens. I mean, this may feel, you know, this may feel Virgin's weakest weakest, um, you know, part of the deal, right? The international network, at least for me, you know, where I'm looking for Trans-Pacific. Um, so let's, yeah, let's see. This is just an interesting discussion as well for me personally because I've got gold status with both Virgin and United and I'm probably only going to keep one of them. So I'll watch this space. I'll have to well, make some decisions makes, on that. It makes sense to keep one, right? Yeah. Well, uh, David, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your insights. It's been a really interesting discussion, as always. Um, how can people get in touch with you if they want to get in touch? Yeah, look, um, uh, LinkedIn, uh, find me on LinkedIn uh, is, is, is probably the easiest. If you have questions, feel free to reach out. Always happy to help if I can. Oh, perfect. Well, David Feldman, thanks so much. Thanks, Matt. Always happy to join you. That's all for episode 85 of AFF On Air. Thanks again to my guest, David Feldman, and thank you for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF On Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, where you're welcome to discuss the podcast or ask me a question to be answered in a future episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a minute to review AFF On Air on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, safe travels. Listener.